got a safe place we can come and worship the Lord Jesus, sing about him, lift him up. Amen. I appreciate the, the hard work that went in and decorating the church. Brother Scott, Sister Karen, a beautiful job. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll try to get the tree up here pretty soon. Um, but you just, uh, I appreciate you so much for doing that. It looks wonderful. And uh, on the, the thought of Christmas today, and I always pray the Lord uh, that if he would be willing to give me messages to preach uh, around certain holidays such as Christmas and Easter and such, that, uh, that he'd give me the liberty to do that, and I believe he has. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, something very familiar, Luke chapter 2, of course. Luke chapter 2, uh, we'll be taking our text from, and I just want to read the first seven verses to begin with. And then uh, we will continue looking at, uh, I think, probably down through verse 20. But uh, at first, we're going to read the first seven verses. And if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn there, please. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If you're able to stand, let's please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Here the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you bless it. God, may your word go out and do a mighty work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I've titled the message today, Misconceptions of the Christmas Conception. Uh, the first time I preached on this and taught on it, uh, I had some people that were a little upset. Uh, they didn't understand that a lot of the things that people believe happened at Christmas or uh, always relate to Christmas is actually not even in the Bible. A lot of people get their ideas of Christmas off of television and cartoons and uh, TV shows and books and stuff like that, but but they fail to get the real story of Christmas from God's Word, and that's where we want to take it from. Uh, now, most people, when you ask them about Christmas, they have it in their mind that around 2,000 years ago, on December 25th, that uh, Mary and Joseph were hastily trying to get to Bethlehem to pay their taxes, and they were Mary was riding on a donkey, and Joseph was leading it along with a with a lead, maybe. And they arrive at the inn, and it is packed, and, and that angry innkeeper's in there, and he's refusing to give them a place to stay. Uh, I even, we even had a play one time at church. I believe somebody called it the angry innkeeper or something like that. Uh, and uh, so there's no place for them to stay. And so then Joseph looks around, and he sees a barn somewhere. And, and they go to that barn, and, and in the middle of the cows and, and pigs and everything that Mary gives birth, she's about to pop right then anyway. And so she gives birth right there, and they had to put him down in, in a feeding trough filled full of hay. And uh, baby Jesus never cried one time. He was so good. And uh, up above them, the angels were singing Silent Night and all this stuff. And uh, then all of a sudden, here comes 
three wise men, three kings of Orient, they come in and they give him presents. Well, all that makes for a good TV show, I'm sure. <laughs> That's not the Christmas story from the Bible. There's a, a few little glimpses of it, but it's not actually correct. So I want to look at it this morning with that thought in our eyes that there's misconceptions of the Christmas conception. Now, that word conception has two meanings. One is the action of conceiving a child. The second is the way something is perceived or regarded. And we're going to look at both of those this morning. Look at verse 1 again. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. All right. So the first thing we find in these verses is in those days. Now, when the Bible says in those days, it's referring to the previous chapter when we were talking about John the Baptist and uh, um, all the, the different things that was going on during that time. Uh, Herod the king, the announcement of Gabriel to Mary uh, about she's going to have a child and, of course, uh, the angel coming and speaking to Joseph, all that stuff. So in those days, when all that was taking place, this happened. This Caesar Augustus, a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, if you didn't know that. Um, Julius Caesar actually adopted this young man and left him as heir. And it, of course, made everybody in the family angry. His actual name is Gaius Octavius, is his real name. Uh, he's known as Octavian, and that was his given name. But Caesar is a term such as you would call king or um, Pharaoh, or Emperor. It's just a title is what Pharaoh is. It's not a name. It's not his first name. And Augustus is an adjective, and it means a revered one, uh, someone highly uh, um, uh, honored, or a majestic one is what that name means. So Caesar Augustus is, of course, a title, meaning like uh, an important person, and then Augustus being a revered one. Now, that was given to him back in 27 B.C. by the Roman Senate, and he became known as Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. Now, I know I gave you a little bit of history lesson. Don't, don't kill me for that, but that is the time period that we're dealing with. And we know the Romans were in charge of everything. And so there was a lot of stuff happening, and we see that this Caesar that was in place at the time, he makes this decree that he's going to, uh, count everyone, and that's what that means. All went to be taxed. That doesn't mean they had to go and pay their income taxes, all right? They didn't have an H&R block, and, and they saved up every penny in a jar, and they brought it in and you know to pay taxes. That's not what that means. The, the original meaning of this word means to enroll or to be counted. So it was a census. Uh, in other words, like we have every now and then, I believe we just had one previously, or just uh, currently, there was a, a, a census here in the United States. Uh, I believe I remember filling out all, all the paperwork. But everybody during that time would have to go to the city of their birth to put their name down on the roll to show that they were from that. Now, it would be used for taxes. Uh, once their name was on there, the government has them. That's what this is, the government. And the government's always trying to get your money anyway. And so once your name was on that roll, then they would take your name. they say, they owe taxes because they're from Bethlehem. It's time to, to pay the taxes. All right, now look at verse 4. And Joseph, 
also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. All right, so Joseph also went up from Galilee. Okay, now, a lot of people have it in their, their heads, and a lot of kids have a little coloring book that shows Mary riding sideways on a donkey as Joseph leads her uh, by the by the lead. That's not in the Bible. Um, I want you. To, I want to challenge you to find any mention of this occurring that she rode on a donkey or even a camel. It's not spoken. It just says that they went there. Joseph was a carpenter by trade. He was not a wealthy man at all. He was he was very poor. Uh, they were poor people. They didn't even have enough uh, money to pay what a lot of people pay during the birth to give to the temple. They they had the meager amount, so they didn't have much money. They may not even had a donkey or a camel to ride in on. They might have walked the entire journey or hitched a ride with other people because other people were traveling at the time. Uh, but we don't know. But there was no mention of Mary riding on a donkey into Bethlehem. It says he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, what this means is that he is part of the royal bloodline. And that had to be. We find that Joseph is, a blood, is in the bloodline of King David. And I've heard it said that if Israel had still had kings in those days, that Joseph would actually have the rightful uh, heir to the throne. <laughs> so, you know, uh, his, his bloodline was important, but at that time, the kings, there was no kings there. Uh, not real kings, uh, not real bloodlines like that. But uh, it's important to, to know that God added this part in here. Look at there. It's in parentheses because Jesus, to be a rightful king, Jesus had to come from that royal bloodline. And so we know the Bible traces his bloodline all the way back to King David. Uh, even though Joseph was not Jesus' natural father, by, by uh, adoption, he is the heir. And so he is part of that bloodline. And, of course, he is also from his mother's side as well. But the last 18 verses of Luke chapter 3 shows you the lineage of Joseph, and it traces it even all the way back to Adam, in fact. It says there that uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife. Uh, so espoused, we know by now, it means kind of an engagement. It's a, it's a commitment. It's, it's a legal one, by the way. It wasn't just something nonchalant like people say today, you know, will you marry me? Sure, I will. And then the people say, well, they're engaged. Well, they may be one day, but the next day they can say, I don't want to marry you anymore. And they just say, we're separated now, or we're not going to not going to marry. In that day, it wasn't like that. It was a legal binding agreement, and you couldn't get out of it unless uh, there was a divorce that went through or uh, somebody died in the agreement. Then you could get out of it. But uh, they were engaged. Uh, more than likely, Joseph was probably about 15 years old. And Mary was probably 13 or 14. She might have even been younger. But 13 or 14 is the, the usual age in that time that they would, people would get engaged and then get married. Uh, that was normal. And it was binding. It was also known as a betrothal. You might have heard that word. And like I said, the only way to break it is through legal means or death. It's, it's the only way you could break it. Um, look at verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. Now, I want you to notice the Bible says while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. 
The Bible doesn't tell us how many days they were, they were staying there in Bethlehem. We don't know. It could have been several days. It might have been weeks. could have been months. We do know, what, was it two months when they were in a house? Uh, and so they've been there a while. She wasn't ready to give birth immediately when they arrived in Bethlehem, like a lot of people believe her to be. They're like, well, she was just about to have a baby. I can't believe Joseph took her out there like that. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's not the case. Uh, and so while they were there, the Bible says, the days were accomplished. Um, it doesn't say how long. We can try to guess or speculate and how many days it was, but that's all we'd be doing is guessing and speculating. And notice it says there was no room for them in the inn. So where's the, the evil, angry innkeeper? Where's he at? I've not found him yet in the Bible. I've been looking for this guy because everybody talks about him. This angry innkeeper, he's standing there denying them entrance uh, into the, uh, the, the inn here, the hotel room. Well, the Bible doesn't mention any innkeeper that turned her away. In fact, it never mentions uh, anyone telling them that they can't come in there. It just says there was no room for them. Now, what come about? Did, did they come up to the end and they say, man, look at all the camels parked out here and all the donkeys parked out here. There's no room. Maybe they had a no vacancy sign hanging over the door, you know, full, full up. Uh, we don't know uh, exactly what took place, but we know there's not any more room there. It's all filled up. It's to capacity. And so uh, it just simply says there's no room for them in the end. So get that, uh, that innkeeper out of your mind. He, he doesn't exist. Uh, it says uh, that they, uh, a, a manger, because he laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the end. All right. Now, a lot of people, they get in their head that there was a barn there. There's a barn, and there's a, a manger in there where they feed cattle, and there's cows and, and pigs and chickens and everything else. And uh, Joseph walked out there, and he said, where are we going to do this? Oh, there's a barn. Let's go over to that barn, and we'll have, we'll have the baby in there. Well, the Bible doesn't mention a barn here. It's not in here. It does mention barns throughout Scripture, but it's usually a grain floor, and it's not a place where you feed animals by any means, uh, or a threshing floor. Uh, some people have concluded they must have been inside a cave. Well, the Bible doesn't mention a cave there either. And I believe there's even a place marked now that says the birth of Jesus, and there's a, some kind of cave uh, over there that they, they mark. Uh, more than likely, the manger was probably inside of a lean-to, some kind of uh, uh, stable or, or shed that was adjacent to the inn where maybe people boarded their animals and kept them there and they fed the animals with straw and such. But a manger is a feeding trough. Uh, I, I, of course, I grew up on the farm, and uh, so we had feeding troughs for about everything, but mostly hogs. Uh, we had a, a big old hog pen, and Daddy would keep four or five hogs in my papa. And a big old trough, and we come and we we put slop in there. <laughs> That's it's all the scraps we had left over throughout the week. We'd save up and put them in a five-gallon bucket, and Dad'd say, "Go slop him hogs." And so I'd go up there to the hog pen, and I'd over the at the top of the pen, I'd pour all that slop down in that trough, and here they'd come, you know, and they'd get their face down all in there, eat that slop. Well, a feeding trough is where they would put feed for animals and so that's what a manger here is they've laid jesus in there i'm sure it didn't have nasty slop like like our hogs did but it might have just been hay uh we always see the little picture everybody thinks about jesus laying in this this little uh, cradle looking trough filled full of hay and he's laying there smiling with a blanket around him um 
that it doesn't say that, but it says they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, in that day and time, and still over in that area, they still do this. Whenever an infant is born, they cut the, umbil- the uh, umbilical cord, they cut and they tie it, and then the baby is washed and rubbed down with salt and oil. And then they take strips of cloth and they tightly wrap this around their body uh, to, for protection. And so that's what has happened to Jesus. Uh, these strips, they would keep a newborn child warm and they would ensure the limbs grew straight and, and all that. Uh, but Jesus was wrapped up kind of like you would think about a mummy being wrapped up um, when he was born. And like I said, that practice is still used in that part of the world. And people, you know, they think that, well, there's a big old pile of nice cloth there to wrap him up. Well, I don't know. Maybe they had to rip what they were wearing. Maybe there was some old rags. I don't know. But it says they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And that just means, you know, when you swaddle a baby, uh, you wrap them up good and you hold them. Mary always did that, wrap them up and nice and, and hold them. You swaddle them. And that's what Jesus is here in this manger. All right, now let's look at verses 8 through 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, this whole passage, if, if you ever, when you were a child and you watched the peanut, peanuts like, like I did, uh, Charlie Brown and uh, Linus would come out and quote all this scripture. And you know, that's where a lot of people have learned the Christmas story. A lot of people have learned it from Charlie Brown, from Linus doing that. My own daughter, as much as she was in church, she learned it from listening to that. And she can, to this day, quote you the entire passage. And so, you know, sometimes TV can be used for good. <laughs> but uh, the, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. I love it. Every year I just, I'm just so excited to be able to read it again and uh, how familiar, familiar it is and, and how wonderful uh, it all is. But I see here the shepherds are the very first people to know. Uh, they're the lowest of the low. They were not even allowed to go in with the rest of the people to, to worship into the sanctuary and the temple because they were, they were nasty. They were, uh, they were defiled. And so uh, these were just the lowest of lowest of people. Uh, they, they had no importance. They held no offices, nothing like that. And uh, it makes you wonder, why did God choose shepherds to announce the birth of a king? And that's exactly what he did. Um, because the king is a shepherd himself. He is. He's our good shepherd. In fact, he is our great shepherd. If you notice throughout the Bible, great men of God usually were shepherds. You can go back and trace them all down, look at them. I remember Moses standing there on the side of the mountain. He'd been keeping after the sheep. David out in the field watching over the, the sheep. And so we find that God uses these shepherds you know, a lot of people these days might look down upon them and thought, well, you know, they're not worthy of such a, a thing. 
to come and introduce. It'd be like, you know, the president coming to town. They say, well, let's go tell all the homeless people about him. <laughs> you know, uh, we're not going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. But that's exactly what God has done here. He's went to those that most people would have snubbed. Most people would not have anything to do with. And he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to know about this king is being born. It says they were sore afraid of the angels. Sore afraid. Now, why would rough and tumble, burly shepherds like this, and by the way, they had to be. They lived out there on the ground, and they kept after them sheep. They were always working. These were some tough guys, a lot like the the disciples that were fishermen. They were rough and tumble uh, guys. But why were they afraid of these pretty little angels? There's another misconception. There are no pretty little angels mentioned in the Bible. There's none mentioned. In fact, there's no women angels at all mentioned in the Bible. They're all masculine. They're messengers, but they always bring great fear on people whenever they come in their presence. These are massive creatures. These are creatures God has sent, and when it comes to you, you fear and tremble. Uh, They're probably in fear that this messenger of justice was coming to, to announce maybe divine judgment upon them because usually when angels come, a lot of that occurred. Uh, but they were afraid. And uh, so uh, another thing to, to notice here, we're not given a date of when this occurred. Now, since the shepherds were in the field, it was not December 25th. They wasn't keeping sheep in December um, when Jesus was born. It would have been very unusual to be, to be out there in the, in the middle of the winter. The fields would produce from spring until autumn and not in the wintertime. And so the Bible doesn't give us a time period for Jesus' birth, but we can say without a doubt it was not December 25th, which leads to the question, and I've got you, you'd never believe how many people have asked me this, being a pastor, should a Christian celebrate Christmas? I get that question quite often. All right, and let me explain. First of all, the word Christmas is christ Mass. The Roman Catholic Church came up with Christmas, all right? It's, it's, a, it's one of their holidays. They, they started Christ Mass, a special celebration of the Lord's Supper, as we call the Lord's Supper. Of course, they don't call it that, but uh, December 25th was specifically chosen because there was a pagan holiday on the same day, uh, Saturnella. And that is when they celebrate the annual return of the sun uh, in the days, and the days start getting longer. And so the Roman Catholics, they chose that particular time to give a holy day, a holy day. Now, we a lot of times say holiday, and sometimes we get upset and say, I don't like to hear happy holiday. I want to hear Merry Christmas. Well, that's fine, but people, what they don't realize when they're saying holiday, they're actually saying holy day. They don't know that, but, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to get upset about it, but that's what it is. It's a holy day to recognize the birth of Christ, and that's the day they, they decided to, to make it on. Um, Mary and I were talking to a man one time, it hadn't been very long ago, and he was against everything Christmas. He hated Christmas. Boy, he, he let us know real quick. He said it was a pagan holiday. Christians should not celebrate it. He said that uh, you shouldn't have a Christmas tree because it was worshiping trees. And he used this passage of Scripture to back up his claim about a Christmas tree. Listen to it. Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. He said, this is why you should not have a tree. 
Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So he said, see there, they were putting up Christmas trees. And that's what you're doing. You're, you're doing what God says not to do. Well, first of all, this is not talking about a Christmas tree. And I could understand if it was opposing the idea of a Christmas tree. However, it has nothing to do with that. This passage from Jeremiah speaking of idol worship of the pagan people that were around the Israelites. Uh, they were surrounding the land of Judah. And it's speaking about them cutting down these trees, decking them out, and worshiping those as some kind of god and so it is not a christmas tree that this is referring to now we actually had a couple leave our last church over a christmas tree uh, the church historically has always put up a tree in the church well this couple had joined the church that year before christmas they walked in and saw a christmas tree we had it displayed in the in the front foyer and they got irate. They came to our house the next day, and they told us that we were worshiping trees. And that, here, I'm going to quote them, we are on a much higher walk with God than you are. That's what they said to us. Because we, were, we had a tree in the church. Listen, you can go through the Bible and you can pick out verses to grind an axe on if you want to. You can, you can pick out something that you don't like and go and find a verse that will kind of look like it, might back it up, and you can, you can get on that, that hill and die on that hill. You can also take something, it may even be something good, and, and go and find something in the Bible to back it up to, to claim that what you like is, is good and it's in the Bible and it ought to be. Listen, that's not how we use the Bible. We use the Bible in the context that it's written in. And so uh, we could do that all day long. If I wanted to give a rebuttal to that guy, and I didn't because it threw us so off guard, we were, we were rattled when that happened in our own home. Well, we were living in the church parsonage, but it was our home. And standing there in the living room telling us that we were worshiping trees and, and they were on a higher walk with God than we were. And so if I had have had any senses about me, I'd have said, well, okay, well, in Isaiah 60 and 13, the Bible says, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree and the pine tree and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. I could have said, see there, Jesus said he decorates his sanctuary with trees, and so therefore there's nothing wrong. <laughs> but that would also be an improper use of the text. But I'm just saying, you can look at it any way you want to. But don't come and tell me that, that the Bible speaks against something when it does not. Um, and so the Lord is speaking there of how he wanted his sanctuary decorated. Is it a Christmas tree? No. But does the Bible forbid us to cut down trees and use them for decoration and call it a sin? No. Is the Lord sinning by cutting trees down and putting the sanctuary? The Lord doesn't sin. So no. Listen, we don't worship trees at Christmas time. In fact, 
We see Christmas trees from a different perspective. Let me tell you what it is. I don't have to look at my notes to tell you what this is. It's not here right now, so just imagine it was. So up at the top, we usually always put a star. And we always remind ourselves when we look at that, the star that was over where the Lord Jesus was born in that manger that we just spoke about. And then we always wrap all these lights around it. And Mary and I usually use clear lights. We like those. And I always imagine all those lights that's on that tree are all the believers in Christ reflecting the light of Jesus. And so all the light shining around the world. And then we like to use red garland or or um, uh, beads or something that goes from the top and wraps around and goes all the way down to the bottom. I always think about the blood of Jesus going down through all the world, going down all the way to the bottom. Where at the bottom, what's there? Gifts. And so when we look at those gifts, we say, that reminds me of the gift of eternal life that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and shed his blood for us so that we could have the gift of eternal life. And so that is my perspective on a Christmas tree. You don't have to agree with me if you don't want to. That's just the way I feel. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it's against decorating a tree or using it even in a church. And so, listen, if we wanted to take everything that we considered pagan out of our lives, we'd be in big trouble. Let me give you some examples. The days of the week... And the names of the month, every single one of them are from pagan originations. None of them are in the Bible. You're not going to find days of the weeks or months mentioned in the Bible. It it tells you certain days, but it don't give Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all that. It It don't give you January, February, March, April, and such. Let me tell you where those names come from. The day Sunday, which is today, which we call the Lord's Day. Do you know where it came from? It's in honor of the Roman sun god Saul. That's where the name Sunday come from. Monday is in honor of the Roman moon god Luna. Tuesday is actually showing or uh, remembering the planet Mars. The Saxons named this day after their god called Tills, T-I-W-S, in which Tuesday comes from the name of that Saxon god. Wednesday is lined up with the planet Mercury. And it's named in honor of the Saxon god Woden, Wednesday Woden. Thursday, the planet Jupiter is aligned with it, and it was later named in the honor of the Norse god Thor. Now, we've all heard Thor a lot lately because of Marvel or, or whoever does that. Friday is lined with the planet Venus, named in honor of the Norse god Freya. And Saturday, the planet Saturn, in honor of the Roman god of fun called Saturn. And so if we're going to take everything pagan and things that's not in the Bible out of our lives and, and uh, claim that we should not be doing that as Christians, then you've got to quit using the names of the days of the weeks because they're all pagan. You want to do that? We can just start going back to the first day, second day, third day. We can do it. What about the months? What month was I born? I was born in August. That was in honor of the Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar. That's what it was named after. January, in honor of Roman god Janus. February, in honor of the Roman uh, festival of purification. March, in honor of the Roman god Mars. April is uh, called that because the earth opens up to produce new fruits, and it's a Latin term, aperio. May, in honor of the Greek goddess Maya. 
June, in honor of the Roman goddess Juno. July, in honor of Roman Emperor Julius Caesar. And I told you August is Augustus Caesar. The rest of them are derived from Latin words for numerals 7, 8, 9, and 10. And uh, so that's the, the 7th, 8th, and ninth and 10th months. The old Roman cal- calendar did not have July and August. That was inserted in, in there between those. And so, yeah, if you want to die on that hill about anything pagan doesn't belong in the Christian's life or anything about it, then you're going to have to take all that in consideration. And so where does it end? What about automobiles? Should a Christian drive an automobile? Well, why shouldn't they? Well, because Henry Ford was a reincarnationist and an anti-Semite, and he hated Jews. So we ought not drive cars. Well, what about lights and electricity? Should Christians use light and electricity? Is that biblical? Because Thomas Edison was an atheist. And he was quoted as saying, I've never seen the slightest scientific proof of the religious theories of heaven and hell, a future life for individuals, or of a personal God. That comes from Thomas Edison. He's the one that's why we have lights here today. So do we want to go ahead and, and just wipe all that out because we're Christians? Certainly not. All right, go back to verse 15 in our text, Luke 2 and 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. So were angels hanging around at the manger? That's always the picture, right? They're up there above it, silent night, as baby Jesus lays there. Well, no, the Bible says here that... uh, the angels were gone away from them into heaven. So after they appeared to the, uh, the shepherds, it appears they went back up into heaven. Um, so we can discount that misconception. Look at verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, every time I see that, I always think, you know what? These shepherds were the first missionaries. Here are the first ones to find out about Jesus, and the first thing they do is go around broadcasting it and telling everybody about it. And so they, if you want to look at it that way, they were the first missionaries. Uh, they've seen the Savior, Christ the Lord. They're excited about it, just like we ought to be. We ought to be telling everybody about Jesus. Look at verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I love that part about Mary pondering. She's thinking about all this that's going on. She's already heard that from angel, the angel Gabriel that she was having this child as God's child. And she knows the miraculous birth that has taken place. And so she's weighing these things in her mind and her heart. Shepherds gave glory and praise to God. So should Christians celebrate Christmas? Why would you not want to celebrate Christmas? What's the purpose of not remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and, and how he came here to die for us, to, uh, that he loved us so much that he came here? He didn't have to do that. A, a king born in, in one of the awfulest places and uh, raised up in one of the, the worst times in history. But yet he did that for us because he loved us. Why would we not want to remember that? 
And so I believe there's nothing wrong with having a special day marked to remember the Holy One who came here to this earth to identify himself in flesh so that we could, he could dwell here among us. And in the future in heaven, we will dwell there with him. Without all this, none of that would have been possible. So what does Christmas mean to us? Do we worship trees? Certainly not. Uh, putting up lights and decorations, remembering, is that is that uh, anti-Christian? I don't find that in the Bible. Listen, whether you like celebrating Christmas or not, it is the one time of year when every time the word Christmas is mentioned, Christ's name is mentioned. And so, uh, listen, the most important thing that we need to know is that we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the most important putting the trees aside, the lights aside, the festivities and all that, regardless of all that, the number one thing that you need to know about is that gift of eternal life, not that present you're going to open and use for a while and then toss in the back of the shelf and never remember it again. It's that gift of eternal life, which is forever. And you know what forever is, don't you? It's forever, never ending. And that's what the Bible promises that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. His finished work on the cross, he came here to die for us. He gave his life. He was buried. He rose in three days. If we believe that in our heart, we believe that the Lord Jesus is our Savior. All we got to do is call on his name. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. We call on his name because we believe in him. Because the Bible told us about him. And so I want us this morning as... Brother Scott comes and gets a song. We too can ponder in our heart all these wonderful things of Christmas. What the Bible says, and I always want us to remember that we are biblicists. We believe in the word of God, every word of it, and that we should always align everything that's said or, or mentioned or even spoken against the church or Christian beliefs. We need to always say, well, what does the Bible say? If the Bible doesn't say against it, then we're not going to say we're against it. If, if the Bible okays it, then we're okay with it. And so always go to the Bible. But let's, let's stand this morning, and I want to pray with you. And if you have a need, if you need to come to the altar for any reason, you come down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Lord, I, I pray that we're always in your word, God, and we remember that what you say is, is the truth, God, not what the world says, what man says, what somebody's ideas are, their traditions, or whatever it is. Uh, God, we know that your word is truth. And God, we're just praying for each individual in this building this morning. God, in this place that we come together to have fellowship, to worship you, to glorify you, God, that you'll bless each one of them. God, for those members that are not here today, for whatever reason, God, we're praying that you help them. Lord, if they're sick, please, Lord, we, we want to see them healed. God, if they're just uh, not coming for whatever reason, Lord, we pray that you instill within their heart the need to be in your house, God, to worship with other believers. And God, during this Christmas season, may we remember that everything is all about you. It's not about us. God, and the gift of eternal life is the most important gift of all. Help us, Father, and may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need help today, you come down.